0: Want to be a voice actor and book more gigs? Then watch the free intro to voice acting class at voiceoverchampions.com. Change into voiceover champions to save the voiceover world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Voice Over Champions, the show for voice actors, aspiring voice actors, and fans of voice actors. I'm your host, Joshua Seth, and today I will be interviewing Kaiji Tang, which you know as a voice actor from such shows as Jujutsu Kaisen and Yakuza as a Dragon. But first, I want to thank everybody who came out to see me at Otaku Fest in Miami last weekend. What a blast. And thank you to the organizers for putting together such a great group of voice actors. I was so thrilled to be a part of it. On the very first morning, I had coffee with Ryan Colt-Levy, the voice of Denji in Chainsaw Man. And that night, dinner with Sandy Fox, voice of Hello Kitty, Betty Boop, and the Black Lady in Sailor Moon. As well as her husband and very longtime friend Lex Lang, better known as the voice of War Greymon, also got to hang out and chat a bit with Tara Sands, Erica Schroeder, Gray Elise, and Zach Aguilar, who is a very sweet kid, and I call him a kid. Yes, he is ridiculously young. I was harassing him about that the whole time. You are way too young to be this talented and successful, but I'm going to have him on the podcast. I'll have all of them on the podcast at some point. Tara Sands has already been on the show way back in episode six. Before we get to Kaiji Tang's interview today, I've got a few announcements to make about my tour schedule for this week. Tomorrow, Thursday, January 19th, I'll be performing my live mentalism show. This is a theater show that I've toured the world with for, oh, about 15 years. I'll be doing that up in Herkimer, New York. And then this Friday, January 20th, I'll be performing the same show in Niagara, New York. Hopefully, I'll get there early enough to be able to see the falls. That's always spectacular. And then taking a very early morning flight from Buffalo, New York, all the way down to Houston, Texas, where I will be appearing all this weekend at TCG Con in Houston and signing Digimon trading cards, Funko Pops, and other memorabilia. With a bunch of other great voice actors, including the aforementioned Tara Sands and, for the first time, Tom and Dorothy Fawn, who played the voices of Agamon and my mom, Ty's mom, on Digimon. And you can hear their very funny interview way back in episode 7 of this podcast. Today on the show, we've got Kaiji Tang. He's been a professional voice actor working in Los Angeles for the past 16 years and has voiced everything from Detective Pikachu to Satoru Gojo in Jujutsu Kaisen and Ichiban Kazuga in Yakuza Like a Dragon. This is a great talk, and for those of you that are interested in the art and craft of acting, not just voice acting, but acting in general, we discuss it at length and in great depth in this interview. I think you're going to find it really fascinating. So let's get to it. Here's my talk with Kaiji Tang. Were your musical inspirations?
1: My musical inspirations. You know, you know what's weird? When when I first um because I was born in Shanghai, right? Um and Yeah, when, when so I, when
0: let's let's start off there. You were born in Shanghai. So how old were you when you came here and what inspired
1: was, that move? I was four. Uh so basically it it was inspired for me because um my parents more or less had this grand plan to escape the people uh the, the cultural revolution by like becoming doctors and getting like more or less poached by American company. Right. And uh-huh. they did. They did the plan uh, worked. Uh, <laughs> the plan. The plan worked. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but one of the bad parts was they had to go uh, before they could take me. So I, I actually spent the first few years of my life um, not knowing where my parents were. But uh, when I was what? four, uh, yeah, took yeah, care know, of you? Uh, my grandparents, my grandparents, okay. um, you weren't my-
0: left to fend for yourself.
1: Yeah, in some alley just in yeah I was <laughs> yeah, a bit young for that yeah a little a little young a little young but yeah yeah, yeah. I um at four I came here um, and um, and basically when I came to the states I I wasn't really aware of too much music uh, in, in my young age and when I came to the states I figured out that you know uh, my first my very first musical thing I bought was like I think embarrassingly a cassette tape from the from the Beavis and Butthead show. I'm yeah, I, 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 I mean, it was like it was like a, a it was like a combination of songs that they had on the show at the time and I yeah. didn't can know can we do that... the
0: voices the Beavis yeah gotta do the yeah. reference
1: <laughs> I like that they brought the show back now um you know uh, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, that was my first introduction to American music, and I thought well, was American Beavis music, and Butthead.
0: we were con- counting Beavis. that as music now. Oh, yeah, yeah, well. I,
1: I counted it. I counted it wasn't Beavis and Butthead singing. You know, it was just like the music and stuff that they had on their MTV show at the time. Oh, you
0: know? oh, I well, was... yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was like the yeah. Beavis and
1: Butthead mixtape. You know what I mean? got gotcha. you? Yeah, yeah, that was back in the
0: first... era of like the Jerky Boys having yeah, yeah, these yeah, tapes yeah, exactly. and things. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember when I went to college, I had all my mixtapes, all my cassette and I like saved up my money and I bought a cassette player and I installed it myself in this like 1974 Super Beetle that I'd bought nice. for like $800 or something and uh, forgot to lock the doors. And the oh, vi- no. same night that I installed everything and put all my whole collection of mixtapes out there, it was stolen. No. And that's when I oh. Yes, and that's when I began to learn to let go of the physical that's- things. <laughs> They're not important.
1: <laughs> that's true. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened do, to you, and me. Uh, you, uh, maybe that person who took it really needed it. You know, maybe that's right. Was, that's like, what we. must yeah. Maybe it was life You know? must
0: think that way. Not hold on <laughs> to everything. Now,
1: uh, before we
0: move off of your coming to America story, do you feel like you have abandonment issues? Like your parents were oh, suddenly gone of... at age of four. It's not like you can explain <laughs> to a four year old how or why.
1: Yeah, I um yeah, there was probably some a little bit of that. But but you know, my grandparents were so uh nice and like really sweet and like I had a really nice uh time and a childhood with them. So it wasn't it wasn't too bad, you know. Um Are they I, still around? Uh, unfortunately not. Unfortunately yeah. not. They have passed at this point. But um, they were uh, extremely sweet people. So I had a very uh, nice uh, upbringing till four, and then you know, obviously when I got to the states, it was a really good time because I had never seen anything before. You know, I experienced a a hometown buffet for the first time in my life, and I was like, oh, this is every American restaurant. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a great country. This um, is culture. Yes,
0: yeah, yes. It's the hometown this is buffet. Culture. Where Where were you? Where did was it California that you moved to?
1: I moved to Chicago, actually. Oh, I moved to okay. Chicago first, and then um, at 10, I want to say, I moved to California. Yeah.
0: yeah. Lots of moving around, and, and
1: here you stay. <laughs> yep, yep, since then, since then.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> I actually have questions <laughs> Oh that we're on well paper. into this. Uh, so, so for those that may not be as familiar with your career, could you just briefly go through the roles and properties for which you're best known? Doing all the voices yeah. and catchphrases,
1: go! Yeah, basically. I, I, so I basically started, I think around the time you went to tour with your band. like you, I noticed it, that. Like yeah, from, no, not right? a
0: band. I'm not a musician. I'm a magician. Oh, sorry.
1: Yes. A magician, magician. A that's mudi- yeah, that's right.
0: It was about 2007 when yeah. I sold my home in Burbank in LA, and I was like, I'm hitting the road. Still- and that was when you came in. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. basically
1: we just we just missed each other. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, uh, if it, those of you listening, I provide the voice of uh, a character named Satru Gojo in a show called Jujutsu Kaisen. And if you play video games, uh, you can hear me as a character named Ichiban Kasuga in Yakuza Like a Dragon. Um, and, and I think those are my two current, like, kind of uh, biggest things. But mm-hmm. yeah, over the past 15 years, there has been, uh, you know, it's been it's been a tumultuous 15 years. Everything has changed so drastically in the time between. You know, I started back when they were still asking for like the the CDs, the CD demos. You, know, you remember about yeah. the? Well, yeah, I started
0: yeah. when they were asking for the cassette tapes that, that, that we were talking yeah. <laughs> about before, uh, and the the CDs came after, and the, mm-hmm. we I, later on in the episode, let's talk a little about how things have changed and yep, how sure, that sure. impacts people coming into voiceovers. Now, Absolutely. you've got this fascinating story that spans continents <laughs> and eventually you land in California and California. become a voice actor. What is your origin story as it relates to that?
1: Oh, weird. Uh, so you know, like I, I came here, and um, it, it was very difficult to uh, relate to people at first because you know it's a whole different country, whole different culture, whole different language. And um, I thought, were, you, I were saw... you already
0: speaking English prior to coming here, or did you sort of no, no, not,
1: not even by immersion not even then. then. Immersion, immersion was yeah. what it was, and and with a good chunk of American television, I will say, um, mm-hmm. I basically sat and watched like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the first year I was here, and I was like, oh, this is English, cool, Cowabunga!
0: Yeah, um, I've met people that learned English by watching Friends in their nah. country and <laughs> shows like that when they were. A little bit older, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles—that makes sense. And did you think everybody said "cowabunga" and you started using yeah, those kind of absolutely
1: phrases? Absolutely did. Right. I 100% did. I remember yeah, walking up parents. I was like, "Hey, cow and they're like, "What? What? What are you even talking about? Like, what? What is cows? You know?" Um. So that was an interesting transition. It was foreshadowing your future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Though I did, I will say, I admit, I did spend an embarrassing amount of time thinking the turtles were basically real people. Like these were turtles and they were on. Yeah, I was a kid, you know, I was like, oh, cool. I want to be a turtle, you know. Sure. Uh, and it wasn't until a few years later I was like, oh, this is a job. This is someone someone's actually here, like producing these voices. Yeah, it was um, so it's was... not
0: readily apparent when you're little <laughs> one. what the <laughs> well, heck is in, going in. on. I remember my the first movie that I started and I thought the studio's gonna get behind me and I'm gonna be on the tonight show and stuff like that. And because I'm you know the main character. Actually it was the first Digimon movie. The movie, oh, hey, at, yeah, in yeah. 2000, 2001, right in well, there. That was that was a really big deal
1: when it, it came it out. It was though.
0: huge, huge. Yeah. It was on 3600 screens something like that so i, I thought well i'm you know i'm the main character like i'll be on everything and the studio said nope we're not putting you out there because we don't want kids to know that real people are voicing the characters it would break the illusion I'm like when well, you did it for robin williams you know, that was a different studio so yeah they wanted to put out the musician's From the soundtrack, like that sang Smash Mouth, that kind of thing. They didn't want any of the voice actors. Now how things have changed, though, because of social media, voice actors are like mini celebrities in their own right.
1: I was going to say, I I imagine, I imagine if that event happened today, it it might be a very different story. You might be on those shows. You might be on Conan right now.
0: Oh, I don't think I ever would have left L.A. or left voiceovers if things were as they are now. That's why I'm coming back now. That's why I am just now starting to voice act again, because A, everything can be done remotely, so you don't have to live in Los Angeles or New York or any specific place. I can stay in my funky, artsy little beach town in Florida in in a little booth in a corner of a spare bedroom and do it from here, and B, because there's a way to capitalize on the notoriety through social media, through conventions. None of this existed. There were conventions, but the right. the- The industry was not mature. There was like San Diego Comic Con and a few big international ones. There weren't ones going on everywhere, every weekend, all at once. Like now, it's it's totally different. So, but back to you, back to you. (laughs) How did you end up becoming a voice actor of all things? I know we
1: keep throwing off the sorry about that. But so, so basically, okay, so I, um, uh, it was, I, where did I leave off? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like hard to fit in, but then I discovered through watching tv and all this stuff i was like oh there's a thing called theater it teaches you how to basically um uh i I saw it at the time as a vehicle to fit in with people because i was like oh i can learn how to sort of like act you know like these kids here uh everyone sort of has like a set kind of american thing going on i don't know what that american thing is maybe if i take theater i can sort of discover like the social aspect of how like american kids like treat each other and that's how it started for me it's it, it really started, interesting
0: so by pretending giving. you can have a way in to yeah the society and the culture but it's all make-believe
1: Yeah, it's all make believe. And then, you know, I spent a lot of years in theater. I fell in love with it. Acting was just the most interesting thing to me. And I continued that all throughout high school. Uh, When I hit college, I I, I majored in in theater. Um, And then I I think just a couple years into college, I was like, you know what, this is it. This is the rest of my life. Wow. uh, Any particular
0: school of, of acting? Style um, so I
1: went to, yeah, yeah, I went to, uh, UC Riverside and, um, you know, I, I learned all the classic stuff, you know, the, all your Meisner, the Stanislavski stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I used to really make fun of method acting, but like, I've come to this point in my life where I have to accept that some of it is really useful. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah like yeah. I was, I used to be that guy where I was like, Hey, why don't you just act? Why don't you just use your imagination? right like, That's
0: <laughs> the, that's the quote from <laughs> Lawrence Olivier to yeah. Dustin Hoffman on the yeah. set. Of Marathon Man, how do I remember that? Because, because for those of you that are yeah, a little younger, and might not know that movie. <laughs> um, Dustin Hoffman, he had to be like really uh, frantic and out of breath, and so he was running around the block and running around the block to get ready for the scene. And Olivia say, "My good man, why don't you just try acting?" Yes,
1: <laughs> I love but that story.
0: I I'm more of the method school. I mean, I went to NYU and I studied. I started. In theater, I'm still in theater.
1: Emotional recall is so useful. It's so, so That's
0: the thing. That is what the method, the Stanislavski method, is based upon, is using your experiences and the emotions that you have as a human being in the service of the character and the scene in which you're portraying. It gets a bad reputation because people think, Oh, it means that if you're playing a scene where you're getting beat up that you need to get beat up in real life so you can have the experience. No. Right, no. no.
1: <laughs> you That's just not...
0: relate an experience yeah. that is similar or creates a similar emotional effect in you I, and you use I've it always, in the service of the scene.
1: I've always found the method really 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 interesting. Even even back when I was like kind of making fun of it. It's it's it, the method seems to be far more useful to people who have a larger lived life experience like yes people, people who travel people who have have gone through things in their lives people who have harvested the, these very human experiences I, that method is so much more useful to those folks you know I, what I mean? I, i'm
0: just smiling inside because that's exactly it and when i left la to go on tour that is what i felt i felt like yeah. Okay, I've, I've reached a certain level of success in my performing career, but I haven't lived a life yet. And if you mm-hmm. don't live a life and have real experiences that go beyond your comfort zone, the people and places that you grew up and things that you are familiar with, then you have a very limited pool of emotions from which to draw. And I exactly. wanted to push myself. And that's, that's a big part of the reason why I left LA and went on tour was, was mm-hmm. to have a life from which to draw to bring back into the art.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Great. I I think any any good actor worth their salt will spend at least a good fair portion of their life traveling, meeting new people, harvesting these life experiences, because you're right. This resource pool that the method draws from, it remains very small until you go and actually experience life.
0: You mentioned Meisner method as well, which also gets a bad rap because people think it's just staring and blinking. And, oh, you blinked. So I'm blinking. But it's actually great for relationships. For helping you <laughs> empathize with and and feel what it's like to be the other person in the scene, but also in your life.
1: You know, I always I feel like these like you know uh, these standard teaching uh, the the standard stuff you teach to students could really be uh, improved as if you were to bring like like a not like a therapist, but like some sort of like like psychiatric uh aspect to it right because we 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 learn these methods and we learn these acting techniques almost in a vacuum outside of um well actually i learned these acting techniques from a uh, very good teachers but they taught it as like an almost like exterior in right like mm-hmm. these are the methods here are the bullet points here's what you should be trying to do and then as i went on in my life i was like well you know, those that is a great like skeleton of how we learn acting. But I wish I had someone there to explain to me like the feeling side of it. You know, mm-hmm. all I had were teachers being like, "Oh yeah, you you know, it's it helps if you just feel." And I'm and when you're just ha- out,
0: especially as a guy. And how how do you do that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you're like yeah. when you're learning it, you're like, well, "What does that mean?" Right. You know? Yeah. And well, you're left uh, as an actor to figure out yourself.
0: A lot of these things that we're talking about are beneficial to actors, but really to anyone who wants to be human or a better version of themselves, everyone benefits from being in therapy, especially actors, because know thyself, right? You can only portray to the extent that you could feel and understand yourself and put yourself in the position of the characters that you are portraying. Now, all this might seem a little silly in relation to video games and anime. (laughs) However, however... When, when you go to a convention and somebody wants your autograph, it's not just because you voiced this character, it's because they have a connection to the voice that you gave to the character. That that connection's ultimately an emotional resonance. Yeah. And, and that's what separates the pros from the dilettantes, is the the hobbyists are coming at it from the perspective of, I can make this sound. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I can sound a certain way with my voice, whereas I, I think the pros are coming at it from the a more actorly point of view, that yeah. I, I can bring life
1: to this yeah. character. Yeah, I, I think people who just start out are are far more concerned with what they sound like in VO, like the quality of their voice, when in reality it's about the storytelling and it's about if you can make someone else feel something when they're supposed to feel it, you know?
0: You just said what I intended to express much more elegantly. Yes, that that's it in a nutshell, uh, what you said. Okay, so now 10 minutes into this question, how did that translate to you becoming a voice actor?
1: Um, so uh, what happened was I had told myself oh, after college, I'm going to get my hands on whatever acting I can get my hands on in Los Angeles. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to move and I'm going to start acting. I don't care if it's movies. I don't care if it's um television. I don't care if it's commercials. I just want to experience the gamut of what performing. I want to work. Yeah, yeah I want to yeah. work. I want to be involved with these, this acting thing. So yeah. I I came here. I did a couple of movies. I met Robert England on a set of a a movie called Zombie Strippers, which was like the first thing I ever did, which was amazing.
0: Were you a Um, zombie or a stripper? I
1: was was, was a zombie. Fortunately, I was not a stripper. Um, But after that, I did a podcast for a dubbing studio. Um, uh, I wasn't really aware of voiceover at the time. I didn't know much about it. right? And through that a uh, podcast I did for them. I wait a met- second, wait them-
0: a 2nd You've been voicing for fifteen years. You said you did a podcast fifteen years ago. I didn't even know yeah, they it existed w- back then.
1: It was it was like the very beginning. So you know what I mean. It was like the the alpha versions of the podcasts. Um, and when that. Project finished. Uh, the director from that podcast, or the person in charge of it, uh, who had worked for the dubbing studio, was like, Hey, uh, why don't you come in and read for a couple of our shows? Um, we, we kind of like the sound of your voice, uh, just give it a shot, let's see what happens. Um, that was a show called The Melancholy of Harvey Susamia and that was the very first thing I did. And it just sort of like it just sort of snowballed after that. Four years down the line, I was like, Maybe I should get a demo, you know, that's how wow, it started. Yeah.
0: yeah. But work does beget work, that's why I yeah. always tell actors in, well, if you're in LA or, or New York, the thing to do is to get a, a job as a waiter, right? Cause oh, you gotta yeah. make a living while you're trying to figure things out. For me, it was like seven years till I really hit it as a voice actor. That's how I got really good in magic was because that's what I was doing as a living. But my point is I always mm-hmm. tell them, don't get a job as a waiter if you can help it. Do something that is in the entertainment field so that you're yeah. building your network and building your skills. As well, and that's—it sounds like that's exactly what you did by m- moving into the podcast. That put you in front of a microphone, which eventually led to where you are today.
1: Yeah, that's not to say I didn't have to make some Cuban sandwiches for for a few years. You know, like I absolutely <laughs> did. I you do did what that. you got.
0: You do what you got to do. But if you could find a way to do that while you're building your connections and your network and your knowledge of the area in which you want to work, it's
1: so much better. Absolutely, hundred percent.
0: Now you were saying earlier that since you began 15-16 years ago until now that there've been so many changes in the industry can you elaborate on that a little?
1: Yeah. I mean, when when you had left and I had come in, we were still working off of like the paper scripts, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, and then that very, uh, not rapidly, but very readily uh, b- became iPads and suddenly like you didn't even need the iPad. Um, nowadays, like we don't, the, the traditional dubbing method, it's not being phased out, but like, have you worked with the Rhythmo band uh, yet? No. Okay. Okay. So now I'm just we have
0: starting. A- I'm just starting
1: back on this. Um, so the Rhythmo band.
0: Yeah. So tell me about Ritmo that.
1: Band. So yeah, this is the newest iteration of our dubbing kind of culture and technology. It's basically, if you can imagine a karaoke band, right? With the dialogue uh, coming across a screen like this, right? It moves at a fairly even pace. It comes from the right side of the screen to the left. And basically what the engineer has done for this Rhythmo band is he has taken the- exact frame in which you start speaking and the exact frame in which you uh come out and he's already placed that in there for you so if you can read at an okay pace you no longer have to have your brain front load the okay i need to start here and stop here Mm -hmm. and And Rhythmoband, if they wrote the dialogue properly, each word should already fit the flap. So we as actors can sort of like unload that like stuff from our brain and just sort of concentrate more on the performance. Yeah, and you can keep your
0: eyes in the same location, which Mm -hmm. helps you free yourself up to focus on the acting and and not remembering what you just looked at on the script versus what you're seeing in the scene. Yeah. That's great. Now
1: I will say I will say really quick though it's 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 a bit of a it's kind of tearing the community apart a little bit the rhythm band because half of us really love it for the reason I said but half but some of us we we don't like some people brains work differently some people don't like reading moving words. And if you don't like reading moving words, it's actually significantly harder to use than traditional dubbing. So it just depends on how your brain works.
0: Well, they give those people an option. So you could have a script on Uh, one side and the scene on the other,
1: each side of the monitor. In my experience, if you reach out to them in, uh, beforehand, if you know that there's a rhythm band happening and you're not good with it, I think they will still, uh, because everyone's still equipped to do traditional dubbing, um, so they will go back and do it for you, I think. My
0: advice would be to adapt, though, because every time <laughs> there has been an advancement in technology, there are always people that want to go back to the old way, and eventually the old way disappears. When I started dubbing, there were no three beeps. The beep, 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 mm-hmm. go, it, it, that didn't even exist Yet. and then the beeps came in be like, the beeps are distracting yeah, well guess what they're here to stay right or when the iPads <laughs> came in the scripts went on the iPad and you couldn't physically mark up the script yeah. I mean I'm old school too and I do enjoy marking up the script because I have a shorthand that makes sense to me in terms of the direction of the lines and the circles and the underlines and things that will help you to like like an actor on the stage break down where you're going to go vocally with that read mm-hmm. instead of holding all of that in your head or making those decisions on the fly. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. time marches on. Technology yeah. keeps improving and we have, we to, adapt.
1: have to adapt. <laughs> Agreed.
0: Yeah. Does being a fan of the projects you're involved in help your acting
1: process? I think here's the thing. Like we were in 2023, right? The fans have now invaded our industry. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it is now being run by the most passionate of us, right? And for, for this time that we're working in, these projects that come out, if you are aware of the IP or if you're a fan of the IP, you probably have a far more in-depth knowledge pool about what you're working on. Like, for example, um, if you were to work on something called Fist of the North Star, right? And if you right. were voicing a character named Kenshiro, right? If you had no idea what this thing was, maybe you go in and um, you, you'd be like, you'd be turned, you'd be thrown off by the, by the way this character delivers their lines this character is very stoic and very like one note right and generally stoic one note characters are a little boring but if you are aware of the franchise and the ip and you know like exactly the 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 subtleties that go into this character's speech you are far more equipped to give a better product um (laughs) wait a
0: second hold on Hold on, because if you're a director or a writer, that makes sense. You got to be aware of the franchise. But as a voice actor, you're getting auditions thrown at you all the time with very little time to prep. You can't possibly be a fan of all these franchises.
1: Uh you can if you work. <laughs> I, I'm a fan of a lot of franchises. is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Wow. Um So I yeah yeah. It's when, very when time I was
0: consuming. Little, I mean, if you're it, in, it is, if you're doing hundreds of roles and hundreds of projects, video games and anime and live action and and prelay animation and there's so many things how can you watch everything
1: you're right. It is difficult. I consider it homework. I consider it part of the job at this point. Um, the more I know, the more educated I am about my the, the the media that I'm involved in, the the better my auditions for those specific shows will sound like if I, I mean, know I agree.
0: This- if you could yeah. if you can do that, but you don't yeah. know what you're going to be auditioning for until right no, exactly. before you do the audition.
1: Exactly. So I, I always give voice actors nowadays the same advice. Dude, consume the media you want to be a part of. Um, take a day. Take Sunday. Right. Sunday can be your cartoon day. Watch the new cartoons. Get an idea of what you're going to be auditioning for in the next uh, half a year. Uh, get l- Literally look at uh, game release titles that are coming up in the next two years and be like, okay, I'm going to be watch- watching out for these, 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 and these. And uh, when these, 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 and these come, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I only do this. I, and this sounds like a lot, right? This sounds like very It extra. is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Right. But we are in a time when competition in this field is at its like zenith. We've never had so many actors all at once, all competing for the same jobs. So I feel like any sort of little advantage like that, just little things like being a fan of the things you are reading for gives you a little bit of a leg up on the competition when you do end up reading for those projects.
0: I don't know where I come down on that, honestly. I, I, I'm trying to keep an open mind because I, <laughs> I, I get it. I, I get it that it would give you an advantage. I don't want to debate that because it's it's a truism, right? If you know about the thing that you're going to be in, you have an advantage. Yep. My reluctance to adhere to that kind of advice <sighs> is that then that seems like you're making progress in your career if you're consuming things, consuming media. Oh, okay. And I have always felt that you're either a creator or a consumer, primarily, right? I'm, I consider myself a creator. I've written three books, five stage shows, you know, I've done, like I create things and First. I watch very little TV. I, I play very few video games. Because you're doing one or the other, you're, you're expanding your ability to create or you're sitting back and passively consuming things. Yeah. And I think the danger would be if people who are not fully locked into the business think that they're making progress toward being in the business simply by watching shows and playing video games as opposed oh, t- to more productive pursuits.
1: I I, I feel I, I completely understand your point of view. This is this is more for actors who are like trained actors who know what they're doing, who know like the kind of business they're in and like yes. watching. Yes, okay.
0: If you're specific- already in it.
1: And yeah, watching things with a specific intent to learn, it's kind of like, you know, if you're painting and you're trying to do like specific styles of painting, it's it would behoove you to go to galleries and like museums and stuff like that to like absorb other people's art styles. So it better informs your art style when you, you know, Uh, it's 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 just it's just stealing, you know, like as an artist, you want to steal as much as possible and uh, and be prepared for any situation that comes your way. I think it's always healthy for an artist to do.
0: I remember before I started getting booked as a voice actor but had an agent and was auditioning and intending to do this, I would watch the Saturday morning cartoons because that's when they were on and I'd tape everything with a VHS tape so that Mm. I could pause on the credits at the end so I could see who was doing what because that was the only Mm. way to find out because there was no IMDb or anything, and I would keep notes on all of it, and I'd try to connect the dots between casting directors and talent and studios and who's repped where and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I get it, what, what you're saying. I just think one should limit the hours that are spent in such pursuits before that consumes you and becomes What your life is about because then you're a fan which is fine but then you're not then you're not a voice actor then you're a fan
1: i I agree i agree uh acting training for comes first and then i I consume the media that you want to with a purpose all righty then next
0: what is the relationship between voicing an anime and the world of cons
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, interconnected at this point, like I like you like we talked about a little bit before the 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 culture and the relationship between conventions and what we do has become almost this weird, like symbiotic thing Um, before the pandemic. uh, The the culture, I think, for conventions was just very, very different. Nowadays, nowadays um, before. okay, really quick, I'm going to bring it back and then bring it forward. When we did anime back in the day, um, years and years and years ago, it was much harder, much, much, much harder. Not that not to say it's not hard now, but it was harder back in the day to make a full living off of it, right? Um, yeah. nowadays, even, nowadays, even, if you just do the anime, if you just do the projects, you're probably not making very much. But now... But now there's this avenue for us. There's an avenue for us to actually make a living having these credits on our resume. And it is the convention scene. It is, if you want to think about it, our residuals at this point.
0: I right? totally agree with that. I've I have heard people, primarily on Twitter, mm-hmm. say, Well, then you're just working for tips. And I think I think they're missing the point because right. this is this is what it's like for a musician, right? They get a million streams on Spotify and maybe they get a few hundred bucks. But they've picked up thousands of fans that might buy tickets and go see them live. And it's the same for us. They, we build a fan base, they'll come see us live. And that's what makes the business viable as opposed to the session fees.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's that's exactly what it is. You have to sort of just consider it as par- part of the job, part of the um, part of this career that you're in. And yeah, a lot of a lot of folks are right. People online kind of see it as like a like what is it like a like a like a frosting or like a like a spice you put on like your your stuff like it, they, they consider it optional, right? Where it's like nowadays 2023, I don't know, like it, it should be. It should be something you incorporate. And I think your it's overall.
0: part of your job the way an on camera actor promotes the project that they just finished by doing the talk show circuit and giving interviews. It's, it's part of the job. And for me, it's what makes this career path viable again.
1: Yeah. 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 So now that's
0: not going to be the case for everybody. It's a competitive industry, just like with every other area. But if you can do it, it's, it's, it's good for you. It's good for the fans to make that connection. And it's, Good for the project that you just worked on because it creates more promotional opportunities. It's win win win, win for everybody.
1: Absolutely. And if you're one of those um, lucky actors who has like the Funko Pops of the characters you voice, you're really in a good place. Yeah, yeah. I, go, I, I know you've got to
0: They're sold out. I can't get them anymore. So I have to.
1: <laughs> I'm sure people bring them to you. When yes, you sign. I have to
0: wait till yeah. they bring them to me. But yeah. I know people that, that order crates of their own Funko Pops to yeah. bring to the conventions. I'm like, mine are $60 or more just to get it unsigned now. But I used to think that Funko Pops were like Beanie Babies and a bad investment. Now I'm not so sure because I have seen them get sold and signed and resold. And then some of these go for hundreds or thousands of dollars and people are buying them. So there is a market and they are making them limited edition and... Like it's a whole cottage industry that's grown up around yeah. this
1: just in the last few years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Collector culture has um, drastically uh, boomed over, not over the pandemic, but after like things started to settle, you could really tell there was like this, like this desire, you know, to, to restart this collecting process when people are. What do you think
0: there. that's so, about? What, why do you think that people want that so much? So many people,
1: I think. I think specifically within context after 2020 there was a global period of misery and isolation and loneliness and kind of like despair right and now that we're slowly coming out of it people are doubling down on the things that give them serotonin they're doubling down on their passions they're doubling down on their collecting and their and their um you know hobbies um it's just to make people feel better and 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 i respect that you know i
0: think it's that coupled with the connection to the simpler happier life they led before the pandemic so there's this nostalgic connection that that reminds them of of how their life used to be like when they were kids or or when things were more happy and simple and free you know yeah prior to this collective trauma that we all just went through Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And now it's time for
1: the lightning round! Ah! New oh, sound that effect that... on the lightning round there. <laughs> I like that.
0: Is there a role you've always wanted to voice?
1: Chucky from Child's Play, wanted Who's your
0: favorite voice actor?
1: Oh, uh, uh, Jameson Price.
0: Who's your second favorite voice actor?
1: Johnny Bosch.
0: <laughs> Who's a voice actor you'd love to work with?
1: Oh man, um, uh, Brad Dorf, the, the the voice of Chucky.
0: What's a project you would love to work on?
1: Project I would love to work on aside from Child's Play. Uh, let's see, I would uh, love to work on more Digimon stuff. To be honest,
0: yeah, that's right. You were in uh, Digimon Last Evolution, Kazuna.
1: Yeah, we, yeah, that was the one project we should. That the was one the one project thing. we worked on together. Yeah, yeah. that was this. the first thing I ever recorded. Uh, uh it, during the pandemic, first thing ever.
0: Now let's talk tech tell us about your voiceover booth
1: All right. well right now I am recording a 7x7 whisper room actually I'm using a uh, Neumann TLM 103 Uh, let's see a warm audio WA12 MK2 hold
0: on wait I'm going to stop the silly music (laughs) I got the same mic uh, but that warm audio Mm -hmm. I've heard of that have you had that like a really long time you're the first person I've interviewed that uses it
1: I have been using this, I want to say for the past um, three years, uh, I upgraded from, I don't even remember what my last one was, but it's a very good fit for the Neumann in my experience gives it, I don't know, the 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 stuff I used before, like I had a Scarlett, right? Mm-hmm. And it was fine, right? But the warm audio, there's something about this specific preamp and the Neumann, it, it's just, um, it's a little more harmonious together. It gives it an even better uh, bottom bass, so it really like draws out the nice kind of warm sound in your voice. Mm. I've noticed so that I,
0: re- I, sw- I switched to the SSL 2 on yeah. Melanie's recommendation, actually, and it is very crisp, but it loses that lower end a little bit. Yeah,
1: the lower yeah. end I really enjoy, so the warm audio it really kind of supplements that. It's It's nice.
0: What kind of a booth are you using?
1: Uh, it's a seven by seven uh, whisper room. So it's an um, actual whisper room. An actual what's whisper called? room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And what's your DAW software for your auditions?
1: I have a couple. So I use, you know, Audacity if I'm feeling lazy. I got uh, the Adobe Audition um, and I just sort of ping pong back between those two.
0: Yeah. Really? Why not just use Adobe Audition all the time then?
1: um I, because i've used both for like many many years and i'm comfortable with uh uh both for different things right uh audacity if i'm not going to be doing a lot of editing and i know i'm just going to do some like you know really quick auditions it's easier saves time audacity if i want to go in and like kind of like pick and choose things i want to like smudge out and all that stuff it's easier on that program
0: and now it's time for questions from the fans
1: Yay! 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 Ooh, Audience in there.
0: Yes. Let's go over to Instagram. And on Instagram, Malik Watson asks, when Conchitang began voiceover, having an online presence wasn't as big as it is now for voice actors. How should people interested use the Internet to help their career? And is there a wrong way to use online
1: presence? Oh, that is actually a really good and important question. And I feel like it should be part of like the acting curriculum at this point in 2020. Yeah, now. Yeah. Now for. okay, so I am at my heart and core and soul. I am all about free speech. I feel that people should be allowed to give their opinions um, uh, when they feel the need to. However, we also have to be aware if you are pursuing this acting field, um, you are going to be what's known as a public figure. Right. And that is something people don't really think about when they start the acting thing, you will have a extra layer of responsibility for your words and actions. So Mm -hmm. if you are someone who um, goes online and uh, uh, writes up a lot of um, not vitriolic, but like very aggressive uh, opinions about stuff, um, maybe. Maybe you will have possibly a little harder time getting cast in specific things, right? Like if you use a lot of four-letter words, you probably won't be picked up by the mouse much. Sure. Um, et cetera, et <laughs> I mean, cetera. that would yeah. seem
0: to be self-explanatory, would, but you're right. Some people don't way. seem to make the connection between yeah. their online presence and what they're putting out and how that might yeah. affect casting decisions and how people yeah. perceive them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sadly so, it is a lot about perception. Um, Hollywood doesn't really have the time to get to know you. So they only have, you know, maybe a second or two to glance at your social media to be like, is this person bookable? Is it safe to put them on a project? And are like, you know, grade zero to uh, uh, fourth grade project, are are they safe? Um, I see a
0: lot of voice actors making political posts, some of which are quite angry. And oftentimes I agree with them, but I don't make them myself. Because I consider myself an entertainer. And why would I want the audience to bring their opinions about me into their experience of the character that I'm portraying? That's just my take on it.
1: I mean, uh, separate twitters maybe separate twitters for the political stuff in, in my opinion but like well it, it depends on what you want to use your social media for right many actors do want to use your social media for business and to get cast and all that stuff and if you are using your social media for business then yeah it, it might it, it might harm you a little bit to be constantly posting aggressive political takes but i would never again as a as just a human, I would never tell anyone to never, you're not allowed to post your opinions, right? It's it's just, you you are just, everyone should be aware of what happens and how many eyes are on it and, you know, and the risks involved.
0: And that maybe not everybody agrees with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Then again, (laughs) if, if you feel passionately about something and you want to use your platform to promote that point of view, we are in a unique position in that. Lots of people may listen to what we have to say. So, yes. certainly when it comes to things like getting people to get out the vote, stuff like that, that's yeah. not what I'm talking about. You know, that's yeah. advocacy is fantastic. Uh, Absolutely. I, I was really just commenting in, in terms of uh, um, hate, hateful responses to people you don't yeah. like. <laughs>
1: yeah we you know we're all humans we are all overtaken by anger at one point or another we as actors who have audiences just need to keep aware that when we post an anger that has a very big ripple effect throughout our community and uh, you know nowadays casting directors might even just be looking on twitter for like actors you know it's like if you are concerned with booking more then there are certain strategies that would help you book more and this stuff may not be part of that strategy
0: Ed Ryder, also on Instagram, asks, What was it like playing Kenshiro in Fist of the North Star?
1: That's funny. We were just talking about that. Um, so yeah, it was it was uh, probably one of the funnest things I've ever done. That was one of those jobs where I walked in. and I looked at the character. And I'm like, oh, that's Kendra and North Star. And they're like, how did you know? I'm like, oh, I watch stuff um, it, it, to be able to step into a legacy character is always great. I would argue for you. Ty is now is a legacy character. He counts. Right. Um, sure. Whenever you, you did it for 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Complete and solid legacy character. Whenever you get to step into the shoes of a legacy character, there, are always, there is like a little layer of pressure. Not for you because you started out, but like if anyone else in if the you're future. You're coming goes, into somebody else's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always that little extra bit of pressure. But uh, when you get to live in the shoes of an established character, it's so much fun. It's so rewarding. You know, some of the work has been done for you because some of the personality is established and it's like you can't really change some of it. So it's 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 wor- using the framework of what's already been a place before you and giving it your uh, little flair. Your little spin, it, so yeah. little spin. Yeah, it was great.
0: Moving over to Twitter. Ricky asks what was it like to do singing in Yazooka Like a Dragon?
1: All right, so Yakuza Like a Dragon has a karaoke minigame, right? So it gives you the experience of going to karaoke with your friends. Um, and a lot of the characters in Yakuza, uh, the the Seiyus in the Japanese version have outstanding singing voices. So these characters are sounding like crisp like melodic, beautiful. And then in the English version, we have a lot of extremely good singers. We have like Greg Chun, who's like a m- melodical genius. He, he he can like he can improv music on his on his instruments. Just he'll write you an entire song in like five minutes he's he's an incredible uh performer in that way so i thought like you know like if we are really giving this experience of like being at karaoke with your friends i think i should have my character sing in a way where your friends would probably sing, a little less perfect, a little more like your buddy on a Saturday night after a few drinks, right? So that was how- So it I was a
0: choice it. not to sing as well as you could. It was <laughs> I, I, a I thought brave choice in, to make, as an it? Th-
1: I think it would be a little more interesting because mm-hmm. like when you go to karaoke with your friends, right? Are they always like perfect? Are they always? no on but page? that's my
0: objective when I do I take karaoke seriously oh do you and, you're like oh, oh yeah like, <laughs> my objective when I go to karaoke is to crush it so hard that no one can follow me and then just to drop the <laughs> mic and just walk <laughs> out
1: burn the building down and just leave yeah you're like that yeah that, that's
0: the or or thing. if I do a second song it's got to be a joke song so the same thing <laughs> just get a just get a crowd response that no one can follow and just get the hell out yeah. <laughs> I, I, take, see, I take my karaoke seriously. Is there still that karaoke place in Burbank? It's like right on the corner, right across from NBC. That was the first time I ever yeah, saw karaoke. It's still there. It's still there. I mean. Yeah. And I went in there and I, I didn't know anything about it. This is years ago. And the, because it's LA, the singers were so good. It was so intimidating that I didn't even want to try. That's my objective now is to be so intimidating.
1: <laughs> you
0: are that formed. That, the people that, that shouldn't be singing experience. never get up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's see.
0: Krista Russell asks, "How did you become a Pokebro?" All
1: right, so like, I'm, I'm one of the things on my Twitter that I do a lot is like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of the show called Pokemon. um And only you because were Detective I, Pikachu, were you not? I was Detective Pikachu. I was. How I do was you actually.
0: not lead with that credit, man? That's a huge <laughs> movie. My kids well, watched it mean, fifty I wasn't... times.
1: I wasn't Ryan Reynolds, Detective Pikachu. I was the 3DS Detective Pikachu, you know? Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, pre-writing. we could
0: just edit this out then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, so you like, were
0: Detective Pikachu, but not in the movie?
1: Yeah, I was the first Detective Pikachu. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. You were the
0: original Detective Pikachu. I was, I was. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds well, then you can lay to claim me. to that. I, yeah, that's,
1: <laughs> that's all good. But yeah, so to answer that guy's question, I I played that game Pokemon when I was a little kid on the, on like a school bus, you know. So it's been a big part of my life for for a long, long time. Um, you know, people are have. People who started out with Mario tend to be very attached to Mario for the rest of their lives. People will start out with like Sonic the Hedgehog. I started out with Pokemon and um, I, I liked it so much that uh, I, I specifically went out to try and be in these um, IPs when I did a lot of voiceover. And, and fortunately, I have been able to get into Pokemon in several occasions. I've done Detective Pikachu and um, and all these things literally and, um,
0: living your dreams.
1: Literally living. Yeah. And, it's funny, um,
0: people my age don't get lifelong connections to like Space Invaders.
1: Oh, that's fair enough. I, I've met a couple, to be fair. I, really? I have met a couple. Galaga. i um, really, really into that stuff. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I I I sort of I sort of like fell in love with it. Um I still play em, embarrassingly. Maybe not embarrassingly. I still play all the games, you know. So like I know very like in-depth math stuff about the game. It's like, you know, when you take the EV thing and put it here and you raise this point, yeah, it's it's all very nerdy. But to answer that guy's question, yeah, that's how. I played it on the school bus and I never stopped.
0: Last question from Sunny. What is the most controversial food combination
1: that you love? Oh, OK. So I'm going to I'm so sorry I'm going to have to do this on your podcast and you're going to have to be um uh uh the uh, the vehicle for this ideology to spread. But uh, let me ask you, have you ever in your life tasted what a soda and a whole milk combined 50 50 tastes like? Do you have a favorite soda? I'm asking. I don't
0: you. drink that stuff. Either. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I don't okay. drink I don't do dairy, so I don't drink milk.
1: So this uh, is and, this is Okay, my cold. favorite soda.
0: Yes, when I have soda like a uh like I'll have a ginger ale.
1: Okay, ginger ale. Perfect, perfect. Now, next time I'm going to I'm going to challenge you to do this. I'm going to challenge you to take a ginger ale and a and whole milk, all right? and 50-50 it into a glass. But I
0: can't drink whole milk. Can I use coconut coconut milk? I'm very intolerant of the lactose.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's maybe maybe a sip. Cuz I'm it. a Jew is, and it's part is, of the is, culture. Is,
0: <laughs> so we can't digest anything.
1: It's true. That that is my most controversial take. I what? think this is you um, you're,
0: you're saying this seriously that you will combine 50-50 milk and, and soda and then drink that you, and not having lost a bet just on purpose.
1: You have to, You have to understand, when I was a little kid, I fell in love with Coke floats, but I was poor, right? So they were expensive. And as a kid, what do you do? You made them. You take a Coke, you take some milk, you pour it into a glass, right? And that's where Coke milk came from. You know, Um, there's this
0: old show called Laverne and Shirley, and I'm pretty sure that they drank that combination on the show. Oh. Yeah, you might want to look that up.
1: I feel just Laverne,
0: as I recall. yeah. That's
1: right. And and I, I will say one last thing about this, uh, and I won't torture your audience with it anymore, but if you guys want the penultimate version of this experience, you take Pepsi and chocolate milk and you half and half it, it tastes 100% like a fudge bar. Fudgesicle.
0: Sounds terrible. And that has been <laughs> questions from the fans. <laughs> All right. Now, to the extent that you're able to tell us, what are you working on now? What's next for you?
1: All right. well, you as you know, we're we're always under NDA's, but what I can tell people is, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen season two is coming out this year. It's going to be really good. Um, the the second arc of the story is going to be fantastic. Um, people know that Bungo Stray Dogs season two are coming out this is coming out this year, and I think that's those two are literally the only things I'm allowed to talk about. As There's some big topic. ones,
0: yeah, we just had yeah. uh, Brian Beacock on the show oh, yeah, I love who Brian. was in uh, Bungo Stray Dogs I love as that well. And finally, as we move toward the close, what advice do you have for people who want to get into voice acting and the voiceover business now?
1: Um, You know, I... I- it's it's never it's never bad uh, to take theater. Um, I, I'm of the opinion if you take some theater and if you get some plays under your belt, it, it really does develop a lot of tools that we use in voiceover. Um, it, it gives you uh, a belief in yourself as a performer. You know, it, it teaches you to project in situations where you really need to like hit certain um, you know spots on the mic to make it to make it sound really good. Um, I just feel like theater uh, is like is a never a bad investment for any actor now now if you're getting into here in 2023 i'd say one of the most important things for you is to get a professionally sound treated space in your home to take advantage of the remote recording you know agree yeah 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 get yourself a couple of inches of carpet beneath you get yourself some bass traps you know get yourself up you don't need like a two thousand dollar mic to start out with you know uh, just uh, a nice mic, a nice mic. And then you can move up to the Neumann's. But but yeah, treat the
0: space gonna... before you spend the money on the mic, spend the money on yeah. the phone.
1: Yes, the the space will make the mic sound, you know, even if you have like a $2,000 mic, it's not going to sound good in like an untreated space. No mics will sound good in an untreated space. So, yeah. Right. But the
0: converse them. is true. Like a couple hundred dollar mic could sound pretty good if the space yeah. is is dead and the sound is clean.
1: Absolutely. Even like a Yeti mic might sound pretty good in like a really good sound treated space. You know,
0: this really, really <laughs> interesting conversation. It's been really good to get to know you as well. Yeah, I look forward to hanging out at some conventions in the future.
1: Absolutely. Oh, Let's what share. conventions
0: do you have coming up this year?
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh man. Um. So I've got like. Much like you, I've got I got an entire list of things coming up. Um, uh, Basically, uh, instead of prattling all of them off now, if you guys will follow me on at KGTang on Twitter, I post all my conventions pretty regularly. So if you're wondering which event I'm going to be coming up next, just keep an eye out there on the interwebs on my Twitter, and uh, I will let you know.
0: And I will have good. that link in the show notes. Yes, Tang, yes, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. It's been so uh, fun talking with you. I hope we get to do it more often. Definitely. Yeah. All right, man. Check you later.
0: Thanks for listening. I've got a question for you. Have you ever thought about getting into voice acting yourself? If so, check out my free intro to voice acting class at voiceoverchampions.com and become a voiceover champion.